five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Well, Stevie Ray Vaughan, to get you going this morning, let me uh, fix the old hair there. There we go. Buenos dias, mi amigos, amigas. What's going on? It's Robert Phoenix. Just coming off the astro weather over on YouTube. And uh, it's, it's really cold here. So I was looking for a fire track. And I was going to play... Uh, Putting Out the Fire with Gasoline by David Bowie. But I've played that before. It's been a while, but I've played that before. So I'm like, okay, well, <clears throat> what about Stevie Ray Vaughan? Does he have any fire tracks? And Crossfire came up. And that's actually a really good piece of music. Four hours. Incendiary kind of blues pop with the legend. You know, I was thinking about what was happening creatively in Austin during that time. Just kind of around that period, right? It was, there was a lot happening. I mean, you had Stevie Ray Vaughan who would go on to become an international superstar, but you also had people like Freeman hanging out in Austin um, in the late nineties, early two thousands and really being a pioneer with, uh, you know, his work and using public access TV in order to do that. Alex Jones was there at the same time. You have Freeman, Alex Jones. Um, there was sort of the, the Bill Hicks orbit, although he would kind of circulate out uh, when Alex Jones would show up. And no, they're not the same person. They're not the same. They may be a part of a program or project, but I'm, I don't think they're the same person. Uh, and then you had the, um, the whole dazed and confused scene going on, slackers. So there was a period there, like the mid-90s, early 2000s. Man, Austin was the place to be. Definitely the place to be. It was cheap. Um, unlike other cities in Texas, they didn't hassle you, right? Like if you wanted to be an artist or a musician or you wanted to be somebody like Alex Jones, the motto of Austin was keep Austin weird, which I think they were kind of in a turf war with Portland about. So I think Portland was also engaged in keeping their city weird. Anyway, um, it's not like that now. <laughs> It's nothing like that now. In fact, it's probably the antithesis of that now. 
you've got to make six figures in order to live comfortably in Austin. It's amazing how fast that whole scene changed. Just incredible. And I remember uh, showing up in 2012. It was right, kind of right at the end of that um, really creatively fermented period. And coming from California, I'm like, man, this place is cheap. Not anymore. Not anymore. So the days where you could land in a place that was reasonably affordable in terms of housing, in terms of food, I mean, food was cheap in Austin. It was a city receptive to the arts, particularly music. I think they even wound up creating a, uh, like an insurance fund for musicians to get their teeth taken care of. You know, it was like, yeah, we'll take care of, it's what we're known for. We're a music city. So we'll support them and we'll support the arts. Mm, not so much now. It, it just costs too much money. It costs too, too much money to, and, and, and even the, the, the kind of glacial shift in entertainment reflects how, just how it's not happening anymore. You know, went from a, a band essentially to a DJ. And that's not to say that there aren't musicians and bands that still play. They do. But technology changed the face of music. And the DJ really replaced four guys in a band. And if you think about it, if you were somebody who was musically inclined and you had some good chops, why wouldn't you be a DJ? At least pre-COVID. Because it's clear, like, that's where, you know, the real money was. And I know if you're a musician, you're like, fuck that, I just want to create. And there's something to be said for that, on, obviously. But the market started to dictate where people would migrate into. It's kind of like when you uh, look at Major League Baseball in the 1960s and 70s and even the 80s, the uh, so-called Black African-American community was well-represented in baseball. There were some great players, Frank Robinson, Willie Mays, of course, Hank Aaron, of course, Bob Gibson, Ernie Banks. These are really great players. Oh, by the way, Apple reminded me, tomorrow is the first day of Black History Month. So I just wanted to take that opportunity to remind you as well. So for the next 28 days, we'll be talking about, well, not here, but out there. People like Willie Mays and Hank Aaron. Grant Robinson. I don't think so. Jackie Robinson will get some shout outs for sure. An Aquarian, by the way. Broke the color line. Very Aquarian thing to do. Um, but eventually, those athletes are like, eh, these basketball guys are getting paid a lot more. Even the football guys are getting paid more. And they get to make their money quicker. Usually baseball has kind of onerous contracts. Like you're under team control for the first, I think, six years. Meaning you're making your rookie contract pretty much for six years. Whereas basketball, if you're any good, you're, you're making big money out of the, 
out of the chute. And within three years, you, you are eligible for um, an extension and a new contract. Economics, economics drives everything. I look at the universities. Where, where does the money from the re, for the universities come from? It comes from corporations and the research money and the research grants. Of course, the corporations want the universities to research into the areas that the corporations are interested in. So it's all about the money. The money really is, in a lot of ways, the epigenetic driver of our experience. So the other day I was on, um, and by the way, Chataria, I'm going to get to you and I'm going to get into uh, True Hemp. Why don't we get to True Hemp Science uh, kind of on the record here now? Because there's something I want to do today, just a little, little bit different. Not a ton. So if you're over on Astral Weather, of course, I talked about True Hemp Science earlier. I have not had my moon dust yet. I went into, today I wanted to have, some days you just want a black cup of coffee. Just keep it simple. Taste the coffee, right? Really taste the bean. And I trained myself to uh, drink black coffee. Mainly because Edgar Casey suggested it. He was like, yeah, if you drink coffee and milk, he didn't say cream, by the way. If you drink coffee and milk, it will create a leather-like substance in your stomach. And we all know that coffee with cream and sugar just tastes so delicious. But I trained myself to drink black coffee because of that. And, you know, didn't go back. Although now, um, the joy of cream, you know, heavy cream, whipping cream, apparently it's different, has a different property than half and half milk. So I was able to add it back into my, uh, my coffee regime. Anyway, when I do, and I do that, I use the moon dust and a few other things for my power coffee. And you can get the moon dust over on truehampscience.com uh, uh, forward slash ref forward slash 23. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, truehampscience.com forward slash ref forward slash 23. And if you spend a hundred dollars or more on Chris's fine product, just type in one five M I N S upon checkout and you'll get free product. How about that? You get some free goodies. And it's always fun to see what arrives. Ooh, what did he send me this time? Right? And then $150 or more, and you get free shipping. So when you support True Hemp Science, you're supporting this show. Um, and in a lot of ways, this community, right? It gets circulated back into our experiencer. Whether you are the recipient of the uh, really finest quality hemp product I've ever crossed paths with um, or how it just kind of circulates back into the show, right? It's all part of an ecosystem that we're, we're part of and everybody's getting something out of it. And to me, that's always sort of the, the best model that um, we can participate in. All right. So before I get to Chataria, I want to do something a 
little bit different today. I've done before in the past, but I haven't done it in a while. And I want to just um, do a shout out on the podcast side of things. We're, we're ramping up to our 200th uh, published episode. And the podcast side um, is really growing. Although I think I might have lost a few subscribers. But I'll do a little screen share. We've had our best month ever in January on the podcast side. Here's a look behind the veil. Look at that. 3,500 downloads. Just about 3,464. By the end of the day, when I post this, we might be at uh, 3,500. Look at that. So we're, uh, we're making real strides on the podcast side of things. And I wanted to give a shout out to the, the countries that tune in and listen. So, of course, at the top of the list is the good old U.S. of A. And then following in succession. So I'm just going to do a shout out to all these countries that listen. We got the U.K., Canada, Australia, Germany, New Zealand, Croatia um, is the. Germany is really interesting, I have to say. United States, English-speaking, UK, English-speaking, Canada, English-speaking, Australia, English-speaking. And then you have Germany. And I know they speak English in Germany, but it's right behind Australia and just ahead of New Zealand. And then we have some very interesting, well, New Zealand follows Germany. And then we have some interesting countries where there seems to be some traction here. Croatia, Costa Rica, the Ivory Coast, Ecuador. Then we drop into uh, the Netherlands and Norway. Then we come back with Colombia, Panama, South Africa, Sweden, Mexico, Ireland, Spain, Switzerland, France, Malaysia, Singapore, Russia, Denmark, Belgium, Bulgaria, Japan, the Philippines, Cambodia, Italy, Finland, Puerto Rico, Poland, Slovenia, Peru, Thailand, Mozambique, Greece, Czech Republic, Brazil, Luxembourg, Indonesia, Austria, Serbia, Portugal, India, Israel, Hong Kong, Georgia, Argentina, Ukraine, somebody listens in Ukraine, uh, Tanzania, Turkey, Tunisia, Hungary, Estonia, China, Armenia, Albania, the United Arab Emirates, Seychelles, Saudi Arabia, Nepal, Malawi, Lebanon, and uh, Iran. The last four. Seychelles, Saudi Arabia, Nepal, Malawi, Lebanon, and Iran. Very low. So let's get our let's get our numbers up in that part of the world. Now, this is great. This is totally great. And it's really cool when you are able to see it on a map. I'll show you the map. So you can see all the countries. And how many downloads we've had? 
So it's pretty cool, right? And there's a lot of territory that's covered here. Nobody from Iceland yet. That's a goal. One from Greenland. We have one download from Greenland. Look at that. Anyway, I just wanted to give a shout out on the, uh, the podcast side of things for people who listen. And of course, you can listen on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Google, uh, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Stitcher. There's a lot of different ways that you can get into what we're talking about here on the podcast side. Anyway, I've been wanting to do that for a while. And it's still Aquarius season, so it makes sense. All right. Let me turn my attention to what's going on in Chattoria. There's my man, Michael. What's going on, Michael? Sony's here. Hi, Sony. Debisu. I think Debisu might be what our Netherlands, but she's not listening on the podcast. She's here. TJ, what's going on, my man, Thomas, the lovely and talented one, Jonas. Beth Berry. Hey, Beth. So I saw your comment on YouTube about Merton, and I posted a, a book on somebody who did an investigative deep dive on Merton's death. And while it's very Aquarian to consider Thomas Merton dying uh, due to a, a, an electrical shock, this book that they've compiled seems to suggest something slightly different. Anyway, I haven't read the book, but I've read the reviews and apparently it's mind-blowing. Uh, so Merton was a dangerous man. He was one of the leading religious figures of the time. You know, in fact, some people could make the claim that Thomas Merton was the, uh, the Pope of the counterculture. Because he had these connections with the beats in San Francisco and the publishing houses in New York. Uh, and he was a religious figure. So he carried some weight. He might have been more popular than the actual Pope in his own way, in a different kind of way. He certainly was the Pope of the counterculture or the counterculture's Pope. Thomas Merton made being a Catholic kind of hip. But it's interesting when he talks about religion and he talks about faith. And it's a very deep, deep, deep discussion. Very deep discussion. But so he was a threat. Like when you get to a certain level, and I think you could add him to the list of RFKs and JFKs and uh, MLKs. I think you could throw Merton into the mix. He was a threat because of his wide aperture. Okay. Um, the Bisu munching on a bagel. Mm. Oh, we got a C. Pine's birthday today. Well, you know what we got to do. By the end of the show, we're going to have to play a happy birthday song for C. Pines. Who else do we have? Rascally Rabbit. What's going on, you rascally wabbit? Yeah, little Stevie Ray. Hucklebuck 411. Checking in on this cold winter day. 
Marge. Hey, okay. Hey, back, Marge. I think Marge left, though. CC Jones. Fantastic is here. There's my man, Steve. Getting a little SRV love from Thor by the door. Christine, I can only get the news through Robert. <laughs> That's actually a compliment, I have to say. That's a compliment. One slash AI. I know who that is. I played that for you. I played that for you, one slash AI, even though I didn't really dedicate it to you. But I played it because I was trying to find a fire track. I'm like, you know what? Crossfire, close enough. Uh, let's see. Who else we have? Queen Lisa, all hail the queen. She's in the house. User 13. Love it, user 13. A lot, a lot of Stevie Ray Vaughan love here in chat. Myra, going to give it another try live. Every fourth word or so it buffers. At least I can read chat. We're glad you're here, Myra. JJ. JJ. It sounds like it'd be kind of a funk song by the Ohio players. Maybe. The Ohio players go yacht. Think about that. The Ohio players met Toto. They could do a song called JJ. SP Dimples. Hello, SP. What's happening, SP? The weather in Texas. Cold. It's cold. Winter is here. It's the last snap of the year. Lisa W., finally, the sun makes an appearance. Near Breckenridge. Yay, yay back. Mark M. King Neptune. He's in the house today. Always good to see you, Mark M. Freeman. Freeman was way out in front of everybody. I remember watching Freeman's early videos around 2005, 2006. I'm like, who is this guy? I like him. Austin City Limits was in on the mix for the best clothing in men's clothing called Paul's Boutique. <laughs> nice one, Bo. That's good. Uh, let's see. Yes, the musicians can't afford to live there anymore. Uh, who else do we have? 12A, 769E. We covered the egg thing, didn't we? Let's see. Anybody else? Miss Nakia. Got to give a shout out to Miss Nakia. The background wants me to read. The first Conan movie is fucking awesome. It's awesome. John Milius at the height of his powers. Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was not quite a bona fide douche. He was a douche in the making. We wouldn't be aware of his true douchiness until later on. So he kind of gets a little bit of a pass with Conan. Some strange Tartarian sets, backdrops, 
sword and sorcery, James Earl Jones turning into a giant snake. The first Conan movie was really good. And then the rest sucked. And it's because Milius wasn't involved. If he had, if he had stayed with it, but he, you know, Milius is an Aries. So he's like, wham, bam. That's how Aries operates. Like wham, bam, in, out, bang, right? But yeah, that was his, that was his big break. We should have done a couple more. Who else do we have? Um, Oh, this is good. Saw a meme this morning spoofing the Jared's commercials with an egg in a jewelry box. He went to Kroger. Somebody brought up, remember when I was doing the egg stuff last week? Somebody brought up the legs as a product. You remember how they sold pantyhose in eggs? Legs? Somebody knew exactly what they were doing. No sports player is worth what they make. Marge, I would agree with you with that. 100%. 100%. Uh, let's see. Loki Loki, unsweetened vanilla coconut milk with coffee is good and harmless and reduced acid. I like coconut milk. Black coffee is excellent. We had, ex I had excellent black coffee today. Excellent black coffee from Austin, by the way. Uh, let's see, who else do we have? Coconut cream in my coffee gave me horrible gas. TMI, Myra. TMI, that's okay though, I get it. Uh, Christine buys raw cream online. A fork stands up on, in it. That sounds actually really good. You guys are so eclectic. C Pines says, has anyone tried chalk? Is it chalk tea? It's a combo of ghee, dates, uh, cocoa. It's great in coffee. Oh, so you add that to the coffee. Wow. That sounds good. Chalk tea. Beverly Wise chimes in on black coffee. It's assimilated as food alkalizing. I do black coffee now, but it took a while to love it. Now I love it. Yeah. I could drop a bad cliche in there, but I'm not going to. Um, Timothy Hartful. Good morning to you, Timothy. Looks like Maurice... Uh, didn't Jacques Attali look like Maurice? If you haven't seen Maurice, I've had confirmation on this. I wonder if Maurice is living a double life as Jacques Attali. Maybe that's why he knows about all the changes between now and May. What What's everyone uh, think about Alexa predictions on World War III? I haven't heard it, but I would not be surprised. They need to move the Overton window. Scrubbies is here. Loki, Loki, man. I think you're great. I think you're great. I think you have found your niche. 
Everybody's got to find their niche. It's got to find your niche. So Alexa predicted that on 11-23-23, World War III will start. I think it's already started. Maybe that's the official start. I think it's already starting. Loki, Loki, I appreciate you. Thanks for doing that. Marge, you take care. Have a good day. We'll see you. Thanks for being here and chat for a while. Okay, let's see. Hey, Lynn, what's happening? What happened to Matrix Mash? Matrix Mash got put into cryogenic suspension. Uh, Beth Berry Googled Merton CIA. Good job, Beth. Merton was a trailblazer. He was one of the first guys that got into the whole interdisciplinary comparative religious stuff. Kelly B, rough start. Come on in, Scorpio princess. We got you covered. Double K, Catherine Kramer's here. We got a big, we got a big house today. You know, when it comes to sword and sorcery, um, when it comes to sword and sorcery, first Conan movie, look, it's not gonna, it's not gonna, you know, be a picture perfect model of the original pulps, right? But seldom anything is. And the interesting thing about the first Conan movie is that it's pre-CGI, which I think is interesting. All those sets, they had to create all those sets and create the special effects. And now they can just kind of whip that shit up, green screen it and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But back in the day, you had to, you had to really be creative. You needed, needed to have good prop masters. And I would say my, my favorite sword and sorcery movies first conan um crawl beast master and i'm going to throw in john carter mars i think john carter mars is a sword and sorcery film on another world i love john carter mars by the way i own a copy of it just saying all right let's talk about some stuff. Got a lot to talk about. Um, let me get the headline here. So this is coming straight to you from AP News. 
I think uh, this really falls into the timeline that um, I was talking about with the three-year period of COVID and it being one-eighth of a Saturn cycle. Saturn cycle being roughly 28 years. And then you have the, the four sub-cycles of seven, seven, and seven. So this is kind of in that three and a half year zone. And I remember talking about this three-year period and Lyle Coyotal, who, who shows up here sometimes, um, referenced it to a prophecy that his grandmother passed down to him. And it was around this time, May of 2023. So it's kind of interesting. Now, what does the uh, deep fake have to say here? President Joe Biden informed Congress on Monday that he will end the twin national emergencies for addressing COVID-19. Isn't that interesting? Twin. Because there's two of them. There's the one from 311. There's actually 313. And then a month later on 413. Both of them uh, stamped, sealed, and approved by then-President Donald Trump. As most of the world's returned closer to normalcy nearly three years after they were first declared, the move to end the national emergency and public health emergency declarations would formally restructure the federal coronavirus response to treat the virus as an endemic threat to public health that can be managed through agencies normal authorities. So we'll chop this up uh, in a minute. Let's, let me read through the story a bit. It comes as lawmakers have already ended elements of the emergencies that kept millions of Americans insured during the pandemic. Oh, thank you so much. Insured is probably code for uh, indentured. Combined with the drawdown of most federal COVID-19 relief money, it would also shift the development of vaccines and treatments away from direct management of the federal government. Biden's announcement comes in a statement opposing resolutions being brought to the floor this week by House Republicans. That's part of it, right? The House Republicans are like, we're done. Now they have the House, we're done. We, we, we need something to look good here and recapture the slim confidence of our voting block, our constituents. So Biden can see the writing on the wall here. And what's he going to do? What is the admin going to do? Because it's not really him. But what's the admin going to do? The admin is going to be proactive instead of take the L. You know what was really interesting about Merton? I want to drop this Merton quote in here. I got to find it, though. See, I was talking about being distracted in the astral weather and running off course. I should listen to my own advice here. Um, 
but I'm having a conversation with Christine in my head right now. And Merton has this really interesting quote about, um, let me see, this is it right here. It's about politics and let's see if I can find this. Basically, man, here it is, right? I found it. I found the quote. Oh, I was almost ready to give it up. So this is this is what this is one of the reasons why I think Merton was beloved. The world is full of great criminals with enormous power, and they're in a death struggle with each other. It is a huge gang battle using well-meaning lawyers and policemen and clergymen as their front, controlling papers, means of communication, and enrolling everybody in their armies. Let me read that to you again. The world is full of great criminals with enormous power, and they're in a death struggle with each other. It is a huge gang battle using well-meaning lawyers and policemen and clergymen as their front. They're not always well-meaning now. Controlling papers means the communication and enrolling everybody in their armies. So the reason why I wanted to bring that quote up has to do with the fact that really what we're witnessing here as a result of what Biden is doing or the admin is doing is gangs. These are gangs. Sometimes they work together. We've seen that before. Sometimes they have beefs. Sometimes they have gang wars. Sometimes they have sanctioned hits, right? So you have the Biden gang or the admin gang, and you have this other gang coming into Congress and sometimes they work together and sometimes they don't. So now the, the Biden gang says, we'll be proactive. We're not going to take the L on this one. Because if you do this and it passes, we're taking the L. And we don't want to take the L. It comes as lawmakers have already ended elements of the emergencies. Okay, we've read that. There's another piece to this, which I think is, the unspoken part, which I'm going to get into. Biden's announcement comes in a statement opposing resolutions being brought to the floor this week by House Republicans to bring the emergency to an end. House Republicans are also gearing up to launch investigations on the federal government's response to COVID-19. Good bread and circus. Then President Donald Trump's Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, he's under fire, by the way. Azar, keep your eyes on what happens with Azar. 
Azar is a bag man for big pharma, but Azar is also connected to Jeffrey Epstein in Florida. Azar is the guy that kind of gets Epstein off the hook in Florida. So Azar is this kind of shadowy figure that, that plays a significant role in helping administrate the COVID response. And he, he, he goes back and forth between big pharma and the government, but he was also, I think, see the attorney general of Florida, but he played this significant role with Epstein and he basically got Epstein kind of got him off for a while. Anyway, keep your eyes on Alex Azar. Um, declared a public health emergency on January 31st, 2020, and Trump later declared uh, the COVID-19 pandemic national emergency that March. It was March 13th. The emergencies have been re repeatedly extended by Biden since he took office in January 2021 and are set to expire in the coming months. The White House said Biden plans to extend them both briefly to end on May 11th. 311, 411, 511. So, what does this mean? Well, it means that states who have their own version of the EUA are now going to have to stare that down. So for instance, here in Texas, we're still under a state of emergency. And the governor, Greg Abbott, is and has been using that EUA to consolidate his power. Because the way that it works is that if the entire state is under a state of emergency, then every single county has to answer to Abbott. And he still is in control of every single county. Now, outside of that, the counties can answer to themselves. Why is that? Because the counties are theoretically armed and defended by sheriffs who are elected officials, unlike police departments who are workers inside of a municipal corporation. So theoretically, counties outside here in Texas, I can't speak for other states, but I think it's pretty, pretty similar, outside of an emergency authorization have more autonomy. They have more autonomy because they didn't want to do anything. And they have the sheriffs who back them up. It's not going to happen. But under this blanket emergency, they all have to bow to Abbott. So that's going to be interesting to see, see how that goes down and how long Abbott decides. Because once it ends, then I think that there's going to be a lot of, and even before, like the volume is going to get turned up and we get turned up in all these states. 
So if you're a Californian and you're, you're dealing with, you know, your own petty tyrant out there, it's going to be interesting to see how Newsom responds to a quote-unquote Democrat president ending the EUA. And all these Democratic states are going to have to, you know, look at this and say, well, we feel like it's still important for us to be under. So that's going to be a fascinating dialogue between the states and the federal government, both in the red and the blue. Because there's no guarantee that Greg Abbott is going to do that, right? If I was Greg Abbott, I would do it before Biden. Because that's how this thing works. So if you're if there's a, a, a if you're a governor in a red state, right? You and you're under this thing in your own way, end it before Biden does. Because it looks a little bit better, but really we all know that you're just doing it because you don't want to be on the other side of it and say, well, okay. Biden did it. I guess it's okay for us now. That doesn't show a lot, does it? So I think we'll see some of these red states pull the plug before Biden, which can't be anything but good. But that said, what is going on here? Is it really based on not wanting to take the, uh, the L? And for those of you who want to know what the L is, it's the loss. What the kids call it, the L. Take the L. Take the L. So there's a backstory here to all of this. Now, whether or not you're going to put full faith and credit uh, on these two people, one of which has been a uh, known uh, attendee of Davos and one of the young global leaders, uh, the other a full-blown Dominionist Zionist, not the best heralds of a new situation, but this is probably true. So check this out. And I'm, who am I talking about? I'm talking about Maria Baratomo and Ted Cruz. So this is from Fox, it's 38 seconds. And I think this plays a role it's a piece it's a piece of the puzzle with what's going on with this admin here let me play this every member of the senate intelligence committee wants to see these documents they say enough is enough but the dni yes. said no she just basically said no and what we have here is a letter uh, to uh, Newt Gingrich, the former Speaker of the House, from the lawyers investigating this, and they are telling us that there's 1,850 boxes of the documents, enough to fill a tractor trailer, uh, and the 415 gigabytes of electronic records, but the University of Delaware will not release who paid, who funded the archival and the maintenance of these documents. Was it Communist China? Every member of the Senate Intelligence... Okay. So essentially what's happened here is that, you know, those little boxes, those little boxes that they found in the trunk of Joe Biden's Corvette, 
Turns out there's 1,850 boxes of documents. That's more than just a few documents. And 418 gigs of electronic data. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a massive heist of documents. Now, he wasn't president. He didn't have the authority to declassify them. Now, Obama, who also took a significant amount of documents, waved his hand over them and declassified them. So Obama gets the free pass. But Biden, on the other hand, that's significant. That is really significant. And I know it's all bread and circus, but um, I can't wait to, to watch Karen. Karen Jean-Pierre have to deal with the fact that there's now 1,850 of these boxes. She's going to blow a fucking gasket. I mean, again, sometimes you got you to take the pleasure where you can find it, right? Um, so does this tie in to what's happening with relaxing the COVID centers? By the way, I still think that by the end of March, Kamala Harris will become president. We're close. We're very close. You're starting to see the elements begin to line up a bit here. And I don't know if I talked about this, but I think it was two weeks ago, Biden's chief of staff stepped down. And that's like a rat leaving the ship. And the guy who was his chief of staff was a guy by the name of Ron Klain. And Ron Klain is, he's a, a major player inside the DNC. And whoever or whatever Biden is, Ron Klain was the firewall. So there, there has been an ongoing, getting back to Merton, gangs, right? There's been an ongoing turf war inside this administration between the Harris faction and the Biden faction. And the Harris faction, I think we can clearly say, is, is the Obama faction. So with Ron Klain leaving as Biden's chief of staff, his, you know, his sergeant at arms, right? The guy who's there to protect him is gone. So I can only assume that there's, it's just a matter of time before Biden's gone. And when you have something like this come out, 1,800 boxes, it's significant. So now we're looking at the other side of this, which is the releasing and the relaxing of the COVID stuff. You know, so are these deals that are taking place going on behind the scenes? Quite possible. I don't think that Biden wants to take the L or the admin wants to take, it's the admin too, right? Until further notice, uh, Comrade Harris is still part of the admin. So this is kind of a big story, right? These two stories I think are huge. They're enormous stories. Now, as far as the COVID thing goes, 
they have to give it up. There's, there's way too much beyond circumstantial evidence that people are sicker than ever before. And there are mounting numbers of people, athletes, young people, just, you know, dropping dead. It's unavoidable. And even though the mainstream media won't cover it, there's plenty of alternative news sites, channels, and they are covering it. And just because, I mean, I was watching Mark Dice today, whom I actually like. And Mark Dice made a note that he gets more views than CNN. Think about that. Tim Pool gets more views than CNN. So that should tell you something about the power of alternative media, whether you think a lot of these people are gatekeepers or cutouts or whatever. The fact of the matter is, is that people don't trust traditional news sources anymore. They go to uh, channels and websites where they get news that they're looking for. Now, some of it, I think, is definitely slanted if people are looking for confirmation bias in a lot of ways. It's, we're wired that way. But some of it is actually just out there in your face, journalism, facts, reportage. You, you can't look away from the stats. You can't look away from some of the video. You can't look away from the history. I mean, now we're seeing this historical record of people who were complete assholes when it came to shaming people for not getting a jab. Complete assholes. And guess what? They're not here. And I know that there are some people who take great pleasure in it. I don't really take great pleasure in it. It's not, I mean, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. But I understand why. I understand why. But this is happening now, right? This is another reason why they want to distance themselves as much as possible. If I was Trump, I would start to distance myself as well. Like Don, drop the the pats on the back for congratulating yourself about how effective your vaccine was, how many lives you saved. This would be a good time to kind of move off that talking point. Just saying. So there's a lot of things that are going on here. It's not just one thing. There are a lot of things that are funneling into this event horizon. The other thing is that now they don't need to deal with mandating masks or shots because you know, they're going about figuring out how to put the mRNA into your food, into your water, right? They're, it's 
mRNA is the new fluoride. That's what's happening. It's the new fluoride. And they'll find any vehicle to deliver it. They're working on mRNA nasal sprays, all kinds of brand spanking new applications for this technology. So they can move off of the program. They've already done what they've needed to do. They've, you know, a lot of damage. And the damage is ongoing. And I don't think we've even seen the bulk of it. We're just starting to see the, the initial returns of these casualties. So then where do we go? Where do we go from here? Well, I think the next stop on the train, the next stop on the train is climate change. That's, and when was it? I think it was around the time Jeff Zucker stepped down from CNN. And some of these memos were leaked and they were talking about programming and how they were going to move off of COVID and start focusing on climate change. But th those would be the next talking points and they will be. Climate change is going to be the next COVID. And I would not be surprised if we move into climate lockdowns. All we need are a few atmospheric emergencies. Like if we have another really dry, hot summer this summer, like we did last year, two years in a row, you know, putting together uh, drought-like conditions that are um, really, really hard to bounce back from. The draining of the water supply in California, right? This is where we, they can try to herd people into climate lockdowns. Oh, you, you know, you can't leave your house. Well, usually what will happen is they'll make it so that it will be uncomfortable to be in public. So for instance, if you're a restaurant, right, and you're in a part of the world where it's warm, I would say that they would limit, severely limit air conditioning in the restaurant. And maybe not in homes. This is all like Skinner shit. Make it uncomfortable for people to go out and make it more comfortable for them to stay at home. That's where I think they could take this whole thing. Oh, well, we've got a real, real uh, heavy-duty load on the grid. Let's, let's shut down things like air conditioning in restaurants and bars, movie theaters. You get three hours a day or something like that, right? So it's not going to be easy. And if you're a person who works in a restaurant, uh, and you have to work in a kitchen where it's incredibly hot. You're going to keep that job? You're going to stick around? Probably not. So I think they, they can socially engineer this stuff any way they want, but I think that's where they're going to go. They're going to go into the climate, climate change world. 
we have this green comet coming tomorrow. I think is tomorrow night. It's going to be hard to look at it here because we have overcast sky. But if you're in a part of the world where the skies are clear, I think tomorrow is the uh, the brightest approach of this green comet. And I've been you know I've been thinking about it. And some people said, well, it was fifty thousand years ago last time I was here. First of all, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's true. Could be. But I don't know. Right? How how are they timing it? Are they able to like clock the the, the comet's approach and return is like are they just doing the math on it do, do they have some kind of uh cave painting somewhere that shows this comet of your fifty thousand years ago i i don't know but what i do know is and i talked about this on sunday night a little bit is that in 2020 we have the comet neo wise and that happened during covid it was like a herald. There was more to it than that. The Saturn-Pluto conjunction was totally a herald. But it was a herald, right? And then what happened after that is you had a lot of new people, Neo, new, getting wise. Three years removed from that, a lot of eyes have been opened. Now we have this other comet. It doesn't really have a name. We're calling it the Green Comet. I think it's something 2023 or it's one of these number names. But it feels to me like this is the the climate change comet. And the approach of the comet is in Aquarius, which is the greater good. Right? It's Aquarius, the greater good, which is all climate change shit. So I feel like that's what this comment is about. And if we can look at the past as being um, a cyclical portent of the future, would it be any stretch that three years from now, or perhaps even sooner, because everything is speeding up, that people get wise to the climate scam? So let them... I would say, let them go down this path and try to do it. And will there be peripheral and collateral damage? Sure. Absolutely. Just like there was with COVID. But on the other hand, you have a group of people who either stood fast, woke up. So there's, it's an interesting dynamic that's going on. So I think that's part of this is that they're going to move on. And that's the official move on date, 5.11. And what are they moving on to? Climate and war. The war part, we're already at war. There is a war going on. It's an asymmetric war. Um, and I've talked about this many times. A war against the West, a war against tradition, a war against religion, particularly Christianity. And when you get into Christianity, it's like, there's no black or white. They, you know, what's really interesting is that these devils love to uh, equate Christianity with being white. Uh, hello, news to the world. There's a lot of black Christians. 
in news to the world, there are a lot of dark-skinned Catholics, right? So you, you, and I know it's very easy and tempting to just bundle up white, nationalist, Christian, put them all together in a bundle, and then set them on fire, right? Well, it's not that easy. Because there are people outside of those groups, or that one group, that share this idea of faith. So there's a war on faith. And it's not just color, but faith. And sometimes color plays a role here. But it's not exclusive to color. So we're already in a war. There's a war on how much you paying for a, a carton of eggs. Our buddy AI paid $7.69. There's a war going on there. They slaughtered, what, 100, 100, 100 million chickens? Some outrageous number? That all happened not long ago. You know, we looked at the whole BlackRock and tractor supply and the dead feed issue last week. Well, that's in there too, right? That's a war. When you open up borders, you're essentially allowing anybody into the country. It doesn't matter what country it is. You're allowing anybody into the country um, that isn't always looking to be a part of the American dream. More than likely, they want to be a part of the American nightmare. This is all part of it. So we're all we're, we're in this asymmetric war. Right? It's the it's the war on individuality, interdependence, faith, traditional moral values, God. And some of you are might be atheists, or maybe you don't believe in God. You might believe in something else. But there's a war, right? And you know, God is creation. That's how I see it. So there's a war in creation. There's a war in water. There's a war in our animals. There's a war in the crops, genetic modification. Long time ago, I came to the conclusion that the idea was to remake the world, not in God's image, but man's image. And so that would be genetically modifying everything, taking it out of its original design, humans, plants, fish, animals, the atmosphere itself, right? This is really what's happening. Ultimately, that's what they want to do. They want to put a Luciferic digital stamp on the world. Say, so this is our world now. We created this. You took our vaccine. We own you. You you don't have the original blood, right? You don't have the blood. And, and again, we're just gonna play play along here just for a minute. You don't have the original blood of the crucifixion anymore. No, your blood is different. Because there's there's this theory, right, that when Christ died, 
that there was a vibrational shift in everything on this realm. Everything shifted in, again, it's a theory, right? And that when that shifted, everything was theoretically redeemed. So even if you're a Gnostic and this is a fallen world, that theoretically in that moment, it was no longer a fallen world. And as a result of that, every bloodline moving forward had with it the transmutated and transfigured blood of the crucifixion. That was everyone's spiritual inheritance on this planet. And why do you think they're modifying the blood and genes? to create AI, transhumanism. That's all Dr. Frankenstein shit. That's when man plays God. And that's that's the game here. Rewriting the carbonic or organic code of the planet. And when you participate in that, and by the way, you know, we've been sucking in aerosols for 30 years now. So, so we are altered, but are we altered in a way that the mRNA will alter everybody moving forward? I would say no, not to that degree or extent. So that, that's, that's what's happening. And that's a war. Everything else is just a manifestation of that. You know, Thomas Merton was a, he was a real peacenik. He was anti-Vietnam War. And you really don't see that these days. Nobody really talks about giving peace a chance. And, you know, that's the social engineering. That's 9-11, you know. 9-11 was a baptism in ash for humanity. Merton has some really good things to say about death. And, man, the guy was profound, really profound. He was kooky. He was an Aquarian, but he was profound. Speaking of war, um, this thing crossed my radar. And I've been thinking about it a lot. In 2020, during the Purple Revolution um, in the communist putsch of America, Summer Floyd, uh, one of the uh, lowlights was the tearing down of statues because they were racist. Everything from Christopher Columbus to Junipero Serra to uh, Thomas Jefferson, right? Like, and some of these people, like Junipero Serra was not a great character. He, he was a Jesuit. Um, but some of the other people in question, 
even with all their flaws, are part of the story here. Well, they tore them down, and now they're being replaced. And Teddy Roosevelt's statue was replaced by this kind of transhuman abomination, which I'm not going to show right now. What I do want to show is the European version of this. And again, this is another example of war. The French protest dismantling of Virgin Mary. Stop touching our statues. Stop touching our roots. Stop touching our values. A French court has ordered a small town to remove a statue of the Virgin Mary, saying the religious display violates the separation of church and state. This was this is all French Revolution shit. This this is why they killed uh, Louis and Marie Antoinette in burned the library at Versailles. However, residents believe this is just another attack by left-wing activists to attack France's heritage and traditions. The statue is located at a crossroads in La Flotte, a municipality of 2,800 inhabitants in the popular holiday island Ile de Ré off France's Atlantic coast. A local family erected the statue after World War II in gratitude for her father and son, having returned from the conflict alive. Its initial home was a private garden, but the family later donated it to the town, which set it up at the crossroads in 1983. In 2020, it was damaged by a passing car, and the local authorities decided to restore the statue and put it back in the same place, but this time on an elevated platform. That move triggered a local complaint by the left-wing activist group La Libre Pensee 17, which claims to be dedicated to the defense of secularity on the basis that a French law dating back to 1905 forbids religious monuments in public spaces. A court, this, this is why the French Revolution happened, for shit like this. A court of Poitiers followed the argument, as did an appeal, the original court in Bordeaux, ordering La Flotte to remove the statue, according to a press statement, local mayor, Jean-Paul Herdu called the discussion around the statue ridiculous because he said it was part of the town's historical heritage and should be considered more of a memorial than a religious statue. But while the court accepted that the authorities had not intended to express any religious preference, it also said that the Virgin Mary is an important figure in the Christian religion, which gives it an inherently religious character. No fucking shit. According to Catholic doctrine, going back to the New Testament, God chose Mary to give birth to Jesus while remaining a virgin through the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not going to get into um, the astrotheology of that, which we probably could and should one day, but let's keep going. Catholicism and several other religions venerate Mary as a central figure in their faith, and she has been subject of countless works of art over centuries. La Flotte has six months to remove the statue, the court said. Nearly 350 people gathered this Saturday around the statue of the Virgin La Flotte en Ray, which must be removed by court order activists from former presidential candidate Eric Zemmour's party, practicing Catholics and inhabitants of the town, say they defend heritage and tradition. 
kneeling in front of the statue of Virgin Laflotte Henri. The first demonstrators around 50 arrived well before the hour for first religious gathering. First, they recited the rosary aloud, a litany that ends with these words, let us pray for peace and calmly so that a solution can be found without causing the displacement of the statue. Practically Catholics are not the virgin's part of the village. She's part of our heritage, says a demonstrator. It's a sign of our history. It has to stay there, said a lady from Perigny. It's our culture. It's our religion. The statue of the Virgin Mary is a symbol, explains Stanislaus Rigaud, president of Generation Z. What we are defending is this way our history is being attacked. See, Gen Z, I'm telling you, Gen Z is based. Pluto and Sagittarius. There have been problems with statues of Napoleon, the Archangel Saint-Michel, and uh, La Sable uh, Dallon. Pardon my French. I don't really speak French. It starts like this, and in the end, we're going to move all the religious signs. We're going to move all the martyrdom. Question mark. Stop. It's enough, he shouts into a loudspeaker. Stop touching our statues. Stop touching our country. Stop touching our roots. Stop touching our values. I'm telling you, there is going to be a war between the millennials and Gen Z. That is going to happen. That is going to happen. Gen Z doesn't like the millennials very much. Every record has been destroyed or falsified. This is from Orwell. Every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted. Every statue in every street building has been renamed. Every date has been altered. And the process is continuing day by day, minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Some interesting sidebar stuff here. Sweden's leading grocery retailer publishes recipe with mealworms. I just saw a uh, news story about Russia opening one of the largest cricket prote protein processing plants in the world. Do you think, do you think Russia is opposed to the World Economic Forum and the Green New Deal and the new dietary menu for the rest of us think again all right let me go in here we got a birthday so we need a birthday song we need a birthday song How about happy birthday from the Swedish chef, since we're dealing with uh, Europe here. Let me get this thing going. All right, whose birthday is it today? Can you guys remind me? I apologize. Whose birthday is it? I apologize. 
I don't want to be lame and be generic. Uh, finally, the boomers are out of the mix. Uh, not quite. You're not quite off the hook yet. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, let's see. Come on. Whose birthday is it today? Gen X skipped and irrelevant. Nah, Gen X is good, man. I like Gen X. Gen X should be in leadership roles right now. I'm a zennial stuck in the middle. I like that, Kelly B. I like that. They're only destroying the history that was already a lie to set you up for the next lie. Mm. It's sea uh, pines. Thank you, Scrubbies. Sea pines. I would say that is probably true, but here, here's here's my my feeling about some of the deep religious iconography whatever you believe that story to be or not i think when you go down that path and you um desecrate god and you can even throw in sequoias or trees or whatever right when you go down that path you're 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 playing russian roulette pun intended all right this is for c pines here we go um this is Happy birthday from the Swedish chef. Here we go. Oh, you got no video on this thing? Oh, my God. All right. How long is it? Two minutes. We fire back up again. My bad, C Pines. Oh, my God. We got we to gotta make sure you get this. My bad. Here we go. I get to see it again. I was getting into it. 
So here we go. Reboot, Swedish Chef. Thank you. Oh my God, you people are killing me today. Jeez, Louise. I'm going to have to extend this show now. Give me one second. I'm doing this for you, Sea Pines. Because now we're up against the clock. All right. Let's take it from the top. I'm on the box cast side. You just saw me add... Uh, some time there. Now I'm not up against it. I'm going to blame it on the moon Mars. Here we go. Let me make sure I have everything in place. So nothing is out of place. We got the share sound. We got the click on the link. We got the share. We got happy birthday from the Swedish chef to sea pines. Here we go. All systems are go.
All right. We had a few uh, false starts along the way, but um, happy solar return. To see pines, that's a very Aquarian kind of uh, little birthday ditty. Thanks for being here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 9, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Use your head in order to somewhat thrill your heart. Two step once possible. I'm Robert Phoenix from Jasper, myself. Take care. Bye for now.